Holy interview, citizens. Hi, this is Burt Ward, Robin from the TV series Batman. You're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Wowie zowie, citizens. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, Ah! it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our Tee Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. <laughs> I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on your deck that you choke at donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you never home. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Come on to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Thank you.
Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Then Is Now podcast. I am your host, Rigor. As we often like to discuss things that have gone away from our pop culture, some things haven't gone away. Things like breakfast cereals and collectibles are still in full force. You know, back in the day, Saturday mornings used to be special because before we had 24-hour cartoon channels, we could only get our new cartoons on Saturday mornings on one of the three networks that we had. With the advent of cable and satellite TV, cartoons and even early morning comedies or scary films would be shown all over the dial on emerging 24-7 niche channels and Saturday mornings stopped being special. Well, that's all over. Folks, Saturday mornings are special again because on today's show we have a fun guest who runs a podcast in which they not only discuss breakfast cereals and collectibles, but also all sorts of pop culture, and he does it on Saturday mornings. He's helping to keep alive a lot of pop culture that's disappearing, and so it's great to make a connection with a like-minded person. So please grab a bowl of your favorite cereal, sit back, and enjoy this amazing crossover episode. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good. Sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance oh, bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, so. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go! Play and have fun now! Okay, folks, as I said in my intro, today we have a special guest who is making Saturday mornings special again with his live video podcast. Our guest today has had an extensive career as a professional entertainer and storyteller. In 2020, he made a pivot from live entertainment on stage to a focus on podcasting and writing. As a podcast host, producer, and director, he directed and hosted over 117 consecutive episodes of Tales from the Geek on Comics Price Guide and over 130 consecutive episodes of Comic Stravaganza on Graphic Policy. He's also the producer and host of the Diesel Punk podcast for 10 years, and his newest podcast project is called Back of the Cereal Box. He's the author of four books on magic, including the industry bestseller Theatrical Magic. His first novella, Night Reich, is published by Seventh Star Press, and his original comic series, The League of Impossibilists, will be available in digital and in print format in the summer of 2021. And should I also mention that he is a Harley Quinn cosplayer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the prophet of pop. I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the prophet of pop culture, John Pica. Hey there, friends and foes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it may be, wherever you may be. My name is John Pica. I am the prophet of pop culture, but you can call me Johnny. Awesome. Awesome. We're so glad to have you on the show here, John. I am thrilled to be here, Roger. We had such a great time with you on our Saturday morning show that uh, I uh, expect nothing less than fun times and frivolity on this show. Excellent, excellent. I had planned a uh, a soft shoe act, but then I realized it was audio, so there was no point in that. T for two and two (laughs) for T. So, John, tell us how you got into uh, entertaining. So I was eight years old, and I was, um, no, I guess I was seven years old, 1977, um, opening night of the movie Star Wars. And um, 
I went and saw it on a Friday night, spending the night with my uh, buddy in school, Jim Pepper. And uh, it, it, when Darth Vader stepped through that door in, in Star Wars, you know, raiding the, the rebel uh, frigate, I pointed to the state or pointed to the screen and said, I want to do that. And, and said it out loud. It was audible. And, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I didn't know exactly what that was, but um, it is kind of what informed me. I knew I wanted to be some kind of entertainer, storyteller, actor, what have you. And, and I did all of it. Uh, and along the way, I was also into, you know, comic books and, and art and, they all just kind of went hand in hand and, you know, throughout the years it, it uh, was separate disciplines, but then in 1999, I fused everything together. My love of comic books, my acting, my music, my magic, um, my love of retro pop culture, in particular the 1940s at that time, into a Broadway-styled, Las Vegas-styled magic musical and traveled the world performing in theaters and dinner theaters doing Swinging at the Roxy. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And, um, you know, along the way, I had uh, people helping me along the way. A, a high school teacher, John Hayward, who was like the first teacher who who saw me not as the weird loner kid but as a kid who had some talent that could be fostered and you know refined and gave me my first opportunities and then you know um i had some incredible mentors and teachers and life lessons and in college and so coming out of college i i didn't want to do the audition thing where you go to an audition and you you hope they like you and you wait around for them to call you and you either get the part or you don't go on to the next one. Right. I just thought that was for the birds. And so I created my own product, my own show, my own characters, my own story. And I marketed that to theaters and dinner theaters and Las Vegas venues and pretty much uh, made my own way. Nice. Nice. And how'd you segue from that into podcasting? Well, so, uh, the, the character I was playing, uh, Big Daddy Cool, was, um, you know, it, he was a, a 1940s swing hipster time traveler. And one day, you know, I'm, I'm, we're at rehearsal, and, you know, this, this friend of mine had talked to me about steampunk. It's like, are you into steampunk? You should really look at that. And I was like, well, no, not really. <laughs> well, so it was a two-part process um in 2005 doing a tour of swinging at the roxy i injured my back pretty severely and um couldn't perform for almost two years and and during that time um i was rehabbing and um i was participating in uh, an online forum called magic talk and it was the largest old school online forum for magic. And I was writing these essays on character development and script writing and whatnot based on the experience I had had doing this musical. And I wrote a book called Theatrical Magic, which became an industry bestseller. But what happened after that was I kept getting emails 
um, from people who had read the book asking me for more information. Well, how do you do this? How do you do that? What does this mean? And, you know, and, and I couldn't answer all of the emails. And a friend of mine said, why don't, why don't you just do a podcast? Podcast? I didn't know what a podcast was. <laughs> but he had just started doing a podcast. And it today is ranked by um, by uh, several leaders in the industry. It's one of the top ten podcasts in the industry. It's wow. the Rebel Force Radio podcast. They've got over two million listeners per episode um, worldwide. Wow. Um, and this is back in 2005, and there was – their podcasting was very different. The reason they call it podcasting, a lot of people don't know this, is because you, you downloaded them to your iPod. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's where the term came from. And back then, that was the only source to get podcasts was from iTunes – downloaded to your iPod and back then um people paid 99 cents per episode so it was actually really good uh, if you were able to grow a big audience really fast right but i started uh, the theatrical magic podcast to answer questions about my book that i couldn't answer in email and that podcast is still out there in the ether you know it never goes away right but it you know, it has kind of a, a limited run. And then, you know, about a couple of years later, after I'd done rehab, uh, 2008, we're, we're getting ready to go back out on the road with Swinging at the Roxy. We're in rehearsal. And a friend of mine in the show had said, you know, have you heard of steampunk? Are you into steampunk? You should look at steampunk. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm not really into steampunk. That's not my thing. And, um, so I started looking around the, the internet thinking, okay, what what would they have for me? Someone who's into the 30s and 40s and, you know, sci-fi and mashup of genres. And I said, what would I call that? I'd call that noir punk. Hmm, and yeah. so I started searching for that, that phrase, but instead I found the word diesel punk. And turns out diesel punk was exactly what, the character and the world of Big Daddy Cool and the Bombshell Kittens and Swinging at the Roxy was all about. It was, it's a mashup of the art style and aesthetics of the 1920s through the 1950s, mashed up with sci-fi and alt tech or alt history, and with a, a healthy dose of uh, 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 pushing against the. Uh, common culture, counterculturalism, um, you know, a healthy dose of celebration of the anti-hero or, or you know, uh, just that that kind of uh, punk yeah. sensibility. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow. And there was a, there's a whole community. And I'm like, holy cow, there's, there's diesel punk and there's a community. And so I started looking for diesel punk podcasts and there were none. There was a steampunk podcast that talked about diesel punk on one episode, but there were no dedicated diesel punk podcasts. Hmm. And so as kind of an extension of what I was already doing on stage, I started the diesel punk podcast with uh, one of the guys who is recognized as one of the founding fathers of the genre. And we started doing that in 2011 
and did it consecutively um, up until uh, January of this year. Um, it's still active. We just haven't done any new episodes. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, every project eventually, you know, every show eventually comes to an end. Uh, we see that in movies and TV franchises, you know, actors go on to other things. And that's kind of where I am right now. But, you know, along the way, um, I got recruited to do a video podcast for uh, com called Tales from the Geek. And that was the first, to our knowledge, the first weekly video cast focused on comics and pop culture. And because it was hosted and produced by com, which has over 300,000, at the time, 300,000 uh, subscribers to their blog, we were averaging, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 viewers per episode. Wow. It was, it was huge. And, um, other, the other shows that have come along since really modeled what we were doing on that show. Um, you know, comic book, uh, comicbook.com started doing their own show. Um, the Nerdist, uh, started around the exact same time that we did, and um, but you know we were the first in the market. And then uh, I left that podcast to s- finish writing my first book called Tales from the Flipside, and um, my first novel, Tales from the Flipside. And a few months later, after that was published, I got approached by GraphicPolicy.com which is one of the top five comic book and pop culture news websites in the industry. And they asked me if I would be willing to do a similar show for them that I did for comicspriceguide.com. And I said, yes, and ended up doing uh, 130 uh, consecutive episodes with them. And uh, we were averaging between 108 to 120,000 viewers per week. Wow on that show. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, all things come to an end and eventually, um, you know, I, uh, I lost my studio because we were remodeling the house and we moved to uh, my co-host's house where we set up a studio there. And then about a year later they moved and they were building their own house. So they, so we lost the studio basically is what it is. And um, so we just decided to go ahead and, and call that quits. And I, I focused on, um, for two years, I focused on just doing magic at a place called House of Cards, downtown Nashville, and uh, pivoted to um, doing that and um, leading haunted tours. And um, then COVID came and everything kind of came to a standstill. Right. And uh, then in October of 2020, I learned how to survive COVID the hard way. I was hospitalized and alone in the hospital. I kind of came up with the idea for the new show, Back of the Cereal Box, which kind of combines everything that I love, you know, from those days sitting at the breakfast table on Saturday mornings, we didn't have iPads or iPhones. Right. We were reading the back of the cereal box. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, you know, that was my gateway, my portal into, uh, into and back to, you know, Star Wars and comic books and board games. I think uh, one of the first records I ever, like, played on a, my, my own was a record that was printed on the back of the cereal box that you had to cut out. <laughs> and um, Was that the Monsters you know, one? Uh, no, it was um, the one I had was an Archie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, they did Monsters, they did Jackson Five, um, Archies. They uh, there were um, Cali. There were just all kinds of them. And, you know, uh, you would have uh, DC and Marvel comics printed on the back of the cereal boxes. Yep. You would have exclusive toys, Hot Wheels, and you know all of that. And and so. My uh, new show, Back of the Cereal Box, is a celebration of all of that and kind of recapturing it. And really, you know, I, I was sick of all of the negativity and toxicity in the world. And, you know, being in the hospital, nearly dying, I was just like, you know what? I don't think I care about any of that stuff anymore. I'm going to recapture the fun of my youth. And I'm going to bring some friends along for the ride. And that's what we do. Every Saturday morning, we get together in the virtual rec room, sit down with big bowls of cereal in our pajamas, <laughs> and just have fun talking about the stuff we love. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome being on your show, doing all that stuff. That was so much fun. So um, in terms of the uh, the back of the cereal box, do you have both an audio and video cast, or is the audio just audio from the videos? Okay, so... Originally, we started out just publishing the audio from the videos on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and iHeartRadio, but I felt like, you know, so many people listen to YouTube and Facebook um, in the background. They may not watch the video, but they listen to it. I felt like, you know, that content was available for them to listen to. And I wanted to do something different with the audio version. So the audio podcast is different content. And it is um, Saturday matinee movie reviews. We dig into our library of Blu-rays and DVDs and do a new review, a fresh review on an older movie and help people maybe find their new favorite movie or rediscover it. And so it's, it's different content. And then we do different content on Instagram. We do um, morning mini bites on Instagram. So there's, there's different kind of content, uh, but it's all branded as back of the cereal box on all of our different platforms. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. I've, I've been listening to the audio podcast and uh, I've caught some of the video ones as well. And I just really have, have fun and, you know, watching them. They're so Especially uh, you and I, I think, are pretty much the same age. So it's just, I can just totally relate to a lot of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we avoid politics. We avoid social justice issues. We avoid uh, religious topics because I want to avoid any type of negativity, toxicity, or controversy. And, you know, a lot of people criticize me saying, well, that's just boring. That's so plain <laughs> vanilla. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? There's a lot of people my age that are sick of the whole, the whole thing. Oh yeah, you know, and 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 there's I'm gonna create a space where they can recapture the fun of their youth, 
without the negativity of adulthood. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. And I, in fact, I do that for both my shows is, um, you know, no politics, no religion, no, you know, social justice, like you said. Um, and my thing, too, is I don't want to piss off a faction of potential listeners. So if I'm talking one side or the other of the political aisle, I'm going to piss off the opposite side. And then they're not going to listen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not so much concerned about that anymore. I just decided, you know what, life is too short and life is too fragile to get tangled up in all of that negativity. Just let's celebrate everything that we have in common and let's have fun with that. Exactly, exactly. One of your shows, you talked about um, toxic fandom. And, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that, but I just wanted, can you just tell our audience what toxic fandom is? Yeah, so toxic fandom is basically what I I term as everything is awesome and nobody's happy about it. Um, When I, look, when you and I were a kid, Roger, if someone had told us that there would be 24 Marvel Comics movies, we would have we would have said you're crazy. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I told people, I tell people all the time that Star Wars movies and Avengers comics made me who I am today. And all I ever wanted in my life was an Avengers movie. But I never in my wildest dreams believed it was actually possible. Yeah. And, and, and today is, I mean, it is never, ever, ever been better to be a fan of comics and sci-fi and the the, abs- the absolute volume of content that we are getting right now would never have happened when I was a kid. We we had Star Wars movies, we had Battlestar Galactica, yep. and Star Trek on TV, uh, Greatest American Hero, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, in the Superman movies, and, and but you know it was compared to where we are today, it was a very small amount of content, and you know 1989 comes along, and you know Batman hits theaters, and it's you know kind of a new renaissance that started getting everyone thinking about the commercial viability of these superhero movies, and um, but it wasn't until 2008 that it became mega blockbuster money-making. I mean, look, the the geek pop culture industry right now is a $7 billion a year industry. Wow. And, and we have more content to feed our addiction than ever before. And fandom is being torn apart by these two factions on the side. On, on either side, you've got on one side the the what I call toxic woke social justice warriors, <laughs> um, and on the other side you have these basement dwelling misogynistic mouth breather hot pocket eating living in their parents' basement never <laughs> kissed a girl uh, neck beard fanboys. <laughs> who hate everything that has anything to do with people of color or strong women or, uh, you know, um, 
you know, inclusion. They, they're like, there's no room for the white man anymore. They're pushing us out. And and on the other side, you know, the the what I call toxic woke social justice warriors, they're they're the other way around. They're like, you know, unless it's you know um, racially diverse and unless it is pushing an, uh, a a sexual agenda or you know a, a an LGBT what is it LGBTQ <laughs> agenda? <laughs> yeah, you know that that it's not worth anything either and you know everything is about race and about gender identity and the the two sides hate each other and there are people in the middle like me who i'm just like just tell me a good story right i I don't i don't care about your politics i don't care about your race or your gender i just want a good story i just want to have fun and if i don't take a side on one side or the other then Either side labels me as their opposite side. Right. So I've been called, um, you know, a misogynistic homophobe by people on the left and by people on the right. I've been called a snowflake social justice warrior. <laughs> and because I refuse to take a side either way, I, I'm right in the middle. I'm like, just let me have a good story. Yeah. Let And, and you know, where it all kind of came to a head in recent years is over, you know, the Star Wars sequels. You know, we thought fandom was divided about the George Lucas, uh, you know, episodes one, two, and three, the prequels. Yeah. Holy cow. We get into The Last (laughs) Jedi and Rey Skywalker, and you would have thought that Fandom had been well. It was. It was cracked in half, and there's this massive, massive chasm that we can't seem to bridge. And that's where it kind of started with, you know, these these misogynistic fanboys railing against Ray being, you know, so adept at the force so quickly, and you know, uh, she's a Mary Sue, and blah 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 blah. And <laughs> on the other side. You know, people saying, well, if you don't like this, it's just because you're a misogynistic, racist, homophobe, because you don't like uh, Finn, you don't like Ray, you don't like Poe Dameron, who may or may not be gender fluid. And because of that, you're obviously just a hateful person. And and that chasm just kept getting wider and wider and wider hmm. and started to... Uh, encapsulate all of the other pop culture stuff that I love. The Marvel Universe, the DC, you know, characters, Superman, Batman, etc. And now any topic, any show, you can go online and you can find these people offering their commentary about how awful that show is, how much they hate it. And, And they're on completely opposite sides. You know, you know, one is taking the social justice slant, the other is this misogynistic fanboy slant, and they're it, it's just they're toxic, and they're they're dividing fandom in half. And now it's to the point, Roger, where there are people out there who are suggesting we need separate conventions and separate events. Oh my god! For for people who have like-minded mindsets. Oh my god! And and there have been cases where. 
comic book conventions have banned certain people because they have a, a, a conservative leaning or a conservative viewpoint. Right. And vice versa. There's a there's a convention happening in um it just outside of Nashville this month that they are it's a by invitation only convention. And anyone who is, you know, a liberal progressive on the left, however you want to define them, are not invited. Wow. That's, that's crazy. how bad it's gotten. That, yeah. That's really bad. And these are the same people that are, you know, they're taking old films and saying, oh, Gone with the Wind should be banned because it's racist. It's like, well, first of all, it's not. But even if it was, you know, it's not promoting it. And you have to take old movies, for example, and old TV shows in the context of the time in which they were made. They're a product that's of the right. time. That's right. And those people, those social social justice warriors on the left, don't believe in context or nuance, or they don't recognize it. Right. Um, historical context is incredibly important, um, especially when it comes to art and literature. Yeah. Things that, you know, look, All in the Family is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Right. It would never get made today. Oh, no. No. But the social commentary in that show is so brilliantly done that, you know, even people who uh, were laughing with Archie Bunker and agreed with him didn't understand that he was making fun of them, but they were okay with it because it was funny because it was true. And people had a sense of humor uh, in those days. And, and, you know, I, I feel like that's what we've lost is, is this sense of humor. And, you know, on the other side, people are like, you know, oh, they, they want to get, you know, just create a homogenous one race society. Well, that's probably going to happen anyway. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's called that's called adaptation and evolution. Right. You know, 2000 years from now. Humanity is probably going to be a very homogenous society. Uh, you know, everyone will be gloriously bronze, caramel colored. And, <laughs> you know, I long for those days. I hate going out in the sun and getting sunburned in five minutes. <laughs> I could go for some more melanin in my skin. But anyway, <laughs> you know, funny. I. It's just, it's just it's crazy how fearful people have come become and how divisive they've come, you know, over something so silly and something that should be fun and uniting. Right, right. And that's the thing, you know, these things that movies, TV shows, comics, novels, what have you, they shouldn't be quota based. You shouldn't have X amount of this race and X amount of that race and X amount of this gender or whatever their proclivities are. You know, it, like you said, just tell us a story and all that other stuff will come naturally. That's right. That's right. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit... We have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. 
There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, monster Kid, Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid Radio. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. All right, so, you know, I really wanted to, to just touch base with you about that because I know my audience hasn't heard of that, at least from my show, and I wanted to just kind of put that out there and make people aware that there are people who are actively, you know, they're trying to get rid of these old movies and TV shows. You know, the big thing about Archie Bunker was when you watched it, you know, yeah, he was funny and everything, but he was trying to give you an example of how not to behave, and people were interpreting it as he was promoting that behavior, you know, through the show, and that's just simply yeah. not the case. Yeah, yeah. 
and it, it is a shame that, you know, like movies like Gone with the Wind and, you know, Song of the South is a great example yeah. of, you know, something that is culturally relevant to the time it was made. And, you know, in the South at, at that time, that's the way life was. Right. And, you know, it doesn't make it racist or, you know, uh, or evil or something to be uh, banned. It's it's just something that we go, oh, okay, that's how it was then. And enjoy the good pieces of that, the, the music, the animation, the slice of life. You know, now people are talking about banning Mark Twain. Oh, yeah. And... You know, the same people who were defending Mark Twain back in the 80s when conservatives were trying to get, you know, Mark Twain pulled off the shelves because, you know, it in, uh, you know, it uh, endorsed, you know, juvenile delinquency. Right. Those people today are trying to get it banned from themselves because of the slave character, Jim. And, you know, the derogatory term that was used to describe him, his nickname which was, you know, it's culturally relevant to the time it was written. Right. It, it wasn't an insult. It wasn't a slur. It was just the way it was. Anyway. Right. Off so, my soapbox. <laughs> no, no, I totally, I totally value your opinion on that. And in terms of talking about things, um, not things that are being taken away from our pop culture by, you know, by these these people who are, you know, on one side or the other, for whatever reason, um, there are things that simply, through attrition, have disappeared from our pop culture. And one of the uh, obvious things that I, I like to use as an example is Fonzie and Happy Days. You know, uh, kids today have no idea. They have no clue what Happy Days is, who Fonzie is, you know, how all that stuff came about. And it was such a huge part of our pop culture, so ingrained for so many decades that it, it literally boggles my mind that, that there are kids who don't know who Fonzie is. And, you know, I think that these things need to be talked about. You know, what what stuff do you feel is disappearing from our pop culture? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, I, I talk to people, okay, so... I, I I talked with um, a podcast the other day about the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> um, the Beverly Hillbillies TV show one is one of, flat out one of the best TV shows ever made. Yeah. Um, was that made by Desi Lou Studios or was that Andy uh, uh, Andy Griffith Studio? It was. Um, I don't think it was either. It was the the guy that did Petticoat Junction and the Real McCoys, and that was the third show he did. It was sort of like a trilogy. Okay. Um, well, out of the three, Beverly Hillbillies, for me, was the best, the yep. most entertaining, just consistently one of the best written shows on TV, um, just fantastic. Well, we, on this other podcast, we were talking about, um, an actor, Diedrich Bader, and how these, these 20-something-year-old kids knew him as, um, the voice of Batman from the Lego movie. Okay. And I'm like, Oh, I know him from as Jethro from the Beverly Hillbilly movie. Right. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, okay, this movie was not that long ago. Right. Maybe 25 years ago. And 
you guys have never heard of this movie? And they had never heard of it. And I'm like, how is this possible? How, how have we gotten to the place where we have such short attention spans that, I, I mean, like the original Battlestar Galactica, that's a good example. Yeah. When people talk about Battlestar Galactica, and now they're talking about another reboot of it. Right. <laughs> and they're comparing it to the sci-fi series from the 90s and 2000s. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about the original. And they're yeah. like, I thought there was the original. <laughs> what? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I really don't. And maybe it's just the... Uh, the old guy in me, get off my lawn. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I like new stuff that is done well, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, some things were done perfectly the first time and we don't need to go back and redo them. Right. And, and recreate them. We just need to help people rediscover what was great to begin with. And, um, but, you know, thank God, 45 records, you know, records, vinyl is on the comeback. Yeah, yeah. This year, actually 2020, was uh, there were more vinyl records sold than CDs. Wow, that's And that's crazy. the first, yeah, that's the first time in 20 years. And because a whole new generation of fans now are discovering the the coolness of the album cover art and the liner notes. Yeah. You know, that you... I, I remember watching an interview with Tom Petty, um, and this was back when DVDs, not DVDs, CDs, were going to be the, the big thing, right? We were yeah. making the switch over. And Tom Petty said, you know, it may sound better, but that doesn't mean you're getting more. And he said, you know, there's something special about holding that vinyl record in your arms, about flipping through those liner notes and having that gorgeous, uh, you know, frameable quality artwork yeah. at, a, at a, you know, at a big size. And he said, I, I hope that this trend doesn't last. And, because he was trying to read the liner notes in a CD uh, booklet. He's like, I got to put on a magnifying glass to read this. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and then, we, then we transitioned from CDs to digital downloads. And I was in the record industry when I first moved to Nashville. I was um, an A&R director for a record label for seven years. And I left because the record companies were like, they couldn't get their hands around what was coming with the digital download revolution. They, um, they were trying to get rid of digital uh, distribution instead of embracing it and figuring out how to make it work. Yeah. And so today what has happened is people of our generation, you and I, we are seeing record, you know, uh, 45, records lps out in the retail stores again and that nostalgia is kicking in and we're either pulling out the collections or we're rebuilding the collection and so they're selling but then 
kids, like my kids, my 21-year-old son, my 17-year-old daughter, they love vinyl. Yeah. They they love the whole tactile experience, and they have fallen in love with that artwork and those liner notes and all of the things that you get with vinyl that you don't get with a digital download. And um, so we've, we've built a massive vinyl collection in just the last three years. Nice. Because it's making such a huge comeback. And, uh, you know, I guess pop culture entertainment is somewhat cyclical, like fashion is. Um, and I think as long as there are people who love history and who love pop culture, things like that will stay alive. But um, for sure, today is the best time to be alive because with with streaming services you have access to almost anything you want whenever you want and we've made it a point to introduce our kids to things like you know Andy Griffith and my daughter 17 year old she is obsessed with Matlock nice she loves Matlock <laughs> And, and, you know, we, we watch those older shows. Yeah. Um, my son, what, what was he getting into? Um, it's more recent, but he was getting into recently the, uh, the Cartoon Network stuff that was on when I was in late high school, early college. Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, uh, yeah. He's gotten turned on to all of that. And um, through... Uh, the, uh, the the show Archer and Venture Brothers, he's gotten turned on to things like Johnny Quest. Oh yeah, and yeah, you know, because they they have an obvious influence from that. Right. And I think if you like this, you ought to check out Johnny Quest. Yeah. And now he's like, you know, we we watch Johnny Quest. We watch you know the old Hanna Barbera stuff, and um, because if if you if we as consumers and fans of that classic stuff can point out, hey, if, if you like what they're doing today, you ought to see what it was built on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that's the point I think that your show is doing. And, and on a similar note, mine is, and I, I feel like I probably should rant more on the show and, and just press the point home that, you know, part of you know, what you were saying is true that we have everything at our fingertips, but I also think that that can be a detriment because the kids don't know where to begin to look or even what to look for most of the time. So it's up to us, the the next generation, the grown ups, we got to start teaching our kids. You know, I I think I said when I was on your show, when my son was born back in two thousand one. I, I felt the need, and, and my daughter a couple of years later, I felt the need to bring them up to speed on all the cool stuff they missed out on. And it served them well over the years. They they get all the teachers' pop culture references, you know. Um, they they really have a breadth of experience. They understand the history of where things came from. Well, you wouldn't have this kind of music if it wasn't for the Beatles, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think it's it's definitely the onus is on us whether or not you have kids, there are 
chances are you've got a young person in, in your life. It can be a cousin, a niece, a nephew, a, you know, a friend's kid. But the onus is really on us to ensure that this stuff stays relevant within our pop culture and that they're aware of it. So here's what I did. I thought this would be cool. I had no idea how well-received this would be. We went with back to the cereal box. We went down to uh, Metropolitan in Chattanooga. This is a, a, one of the first Comic-Cons back this year after coming out of the pandemic. And I thought it would be a cool thing to take Hot Wheels with us and set up a Hot Wheels track and, and race Hot Wheels at the Comic-Con. And That's awesome. So, you know, we used to do this when we were kids. I had, you know, I had maybe a couple hundred feet of track. Our neighbors, they had a bunch. And we used to set up, you know, this track going all throughout the neighborhood, right? Wow. Down the hills and around the turns. And, and it was crazy. <laughs> and, you know, we would start the, the Hot Wheels from this launcher sitting up on a shelf, you know, with the C clamp uh, in the garage, and it would go down around the curve, down the hill, down around, and just all around. And I was like, you know what? This I, I want to do that again. So I went and I bought a couple of Hot Wheels track builder sets. And we go to Matrotham Con. I got the C clamp with the launcher, and we set it up and we start, you know, racing cars. And I thought, okay, this will be a fun little, you know, 20, 30-minute thing. Yeah. Four hours later, <laughs> people are still gathering around, picking their favorite car to, to win the race. Wow. And it just went on and on and on. And I was blown away because these kids would come up, and yes, they played with Hot Wheels, but they ne haven't necessarily played with them on a track and um you know all of a sudden these kids are like seeing how cool this tactile experience is with right. the hot wheels and now i mean i'm not saying i started a new trend but i had to order those track builders online from a specialty shop but now just a few months later I'm seeing them everywhere at Walmart and Target, and um, oh yeah, you know they're, they're carrying them again. And so we're going to be doing a um, Father's Day event here this afternoon. We're going to set up the track off of our front porch, and and race cars for the neighborhood. And I don't know if you've seen it, but you remember when we were kids, one of the hottest toys ever was the Evil Knievel stunt cycle. I was just thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> and and a company um, out of out of Germany, I think, uh, started uh, started. Uh, what is going on? Yeah, that's weird. My phone is my phone is making my stereo vibrate. Okay, huh. I just take that down. So this this company out of uh, Germany uh, released new editions of the Evil Knievel Sun Cycle. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna we're gonna take this out today, and uh, you know get the neighborhood around and let them experience how cool Evil Knievel was. Right. And you know it's a way that you know I, I feel like the more 
digital our entertainment becomes, the more demand there is for analog, tactile, uh, interactive type entertainment. Absolutely. And you know what's and, funny? Speaking of the evil Knievel, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I just wanted to yeah. throw this out before I forgot. I had one of those, although it wasn't Evil Knievel, it was the Marauder from Team America, which not the puppet movie from the guys that made South Park. It was Team America was a Marvel comic, and there was this character in all black called the Marauder who would show up every once in a while and save everybody's lives. And I, it was the same thing. You put the bike in, you put him on the bike, you put it into this device, and then you crank the device, and once you, you feel it's charged enough, you let it go, and the bike goes flying. Really? I I don't think I ever knew that they made that. I remember the Team America comics. Those were like early, mid-80s. Yeah. Um, where, where Marvel was doing some kind of weird stuff with, uh, uh, you know, motorcycles and truck drivers. I don't know if you remember the comic series US-1. US-1, yep. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, about the cybernetic truck driver with a... Uh, 18-wheeler in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fighting him, yeah. I mean, that was when they were doing wild stuff, but yeah. You know what's I funny? I remember that. If you look it up on YouTube, there's a commercial for um, the Team America cycles, and I always remembered them because as a kid, even younger than when those came out, I used to listen to... Um, when my parents had an 8-track player in the car, and I listened to, like... Um, Two A tracks uh, till the point where the like the magnetic particles were falling out. One was the Star Wars soundtrack, and the other was the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And um, oh yeah, the song "You Should Be Dancing." There's that instrumental bit in the middle of the song, and they use that in the commercial. And I actually, uh, it's funny that we're talking about because I happen to look it up recently. And it's on YouTube. If you look up the Team America motorcycle commercial, you'll find it. And it, it's like Team America. You know, da, 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 da. You know? <laughs> it's awesome. Now, Team America Marauder and his super stunt chopper join the Team America team. Together, they're ready to take on all your backyard adventures. And whether Team America Marauder rides alone or with another Team America bike, they're ready for your hill climbing, water splashing, trick riding, high-jumping stunts. Team America Marauder and his super stunt chopper from Ideal. Team America sold separately. Well, what I love about this uh, new edition of the uh, Evil Knievel stunt cycle is you don't have to put any um, stickers on yourself. It oh, all good. comes... you Because you remember that. That was always the worst. Yeah. The crooked, um, and then they fall off after a while. Yeah, yeah. The... the, the decals here are either pre-applied or painted on so i love that nice um but it's exactly like that original evil knievel it was basically the wireframe bendy figure um and um yeah i'm looking forward to uh taking this out today and filming us uh playing with evil knievel stunt cycle with the neighborhood that's amazing and i'm i'm going to tell you right now you are going to get a lot of views because my grandson's four, and he loves to watch YouTube, even though I try to steer him into, you know, more classic things. He still will watch YouTube on occasion, and he watches these videos of people playing with Hot Wheels. And those guys got, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of views and likes and subscribers. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 you know, sometimes I look at what my kids watch, and I'm like, why are you watching this? But then I have to remember that there is a market for everything under the sun. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, just be happy that they are 
you know, finding something that, that is their jam. Yeah. So I wanted to um, shift the conversation a little bit here and uh, talk about Saturday mornings briefly. And because your show, you do it live on Saturday mornings, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Saturdays, and I know you remember this. I don't have to tell this to you, but to, uh, to the audience members who don't know, Saturday mornings used to be a real special thing because you'd get your bowl of cereal, you'd, you'd get in front of the TV, and you'd watch cartoons. Uh, or some, yes. there, there were some live action shows too that were really good. And I, I mean, we can talk about some of those. But, um, but on Friday nights, in September's before the new season of cartoons would start, they would have a special. We had, we only had the three networks back then. We had ABC, NBC, and CBS, and each network would have a special hosted by a well-known, you know, uh, personality, and they would introduce you for a half an hour to all the cartoons that are going to debut the next day on their network. And you, you must remember those, right? Yes, I, I do. I do, and um, I, I do remember that, and. Saturday morning, yes, was incredibly special. Um, not just for the cartoons, but that's also when you had, um, you know, pro wrestling. Um, and and in my neck of the woods, on the uh, the independent channel, channel forty three W A W U A B channel forty three out of Cleveland, Ohio, you had Superhost, who hosted. You know, Universal monster movies or Godzilla movies or nice. uh, sometimes Kung Fu movies. And, um, you know, so we'd, get, we'd watch the cartoons, then we'd watch Superhost, watch wrestling, and then watch Superhost. And then by then, you know, it was time to head down to the pool and, <laughs> um, and do, the, do the swimming thing. Um, but that was our Saturday. And, um, yeah, I, you know, sometimes I think, you know, my kids miss out by not having that experience. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, um, that's, that's part of what we, you know, try to bring back with, uh, back of the cereal boxes, that, that specialness of Saturday morning. And, um, you know, for us on the show, it definitely is special on Saturday mornings again. Oh, yeah. And in Boston, we used to have not only the cartoons and live action shows, then at 1230 on a Saturday afternoon, we had Creature Double Feature. And it didn't have a host, per se. It was just an announcer. But they would show two horror films. Where the, I don't think they ever showed Universal ones there. Those were on other channels. But, um, but yeah, so that was a big thing. So you had a full plate on a Saturday, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about those Friday night shows, I remember seeing one. And it had to be, I'm trying to think when Star Blazers was on. That was around 77. Um, but uh, around that time, I'm going to say 76. I, I want to say 74, but I could be wrong. But they had um, one of the shows, they showed a, tre- a preview of Battle of the Planets, if you remember that cartoon. Listen, Battle of the Planets was one of my all-time favorite shows ever. Yeah, same here, same here. And I, yeah, I used to rush home from school uh, to see that. Yeah. Now, did your interest in that go deeper? Did you, like, we used to have um, in a a town that was probably about a half an hour away, they had this um, store called Mr. Big's Toyland, and they would sell 
all the the um the diecast figures from Force Five and Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets and stuff, and they were so awesome, and I could barely afford any of them, but I just love to go and, and window shop and talk to the guy there. And there was one dude there that was Japanese, and he would give us the history of all these car. Back then we called them cartoons. Now they're called anime. Yeah. And right. um, you know, there were Japanese cartoons and. Um, I learned all about how Battle of the Planets actually originally didn't have anything to do with outer space. It was called Science Ninja Team Gotchman. They didn't have cerebonic implants. You know, all the um, Seven Zark Seven stuff was added in, which as a kid, I always knew there was something off about that animation, especially when like Mark or Princess would show up and talk to him. <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't uh, know when those shows were on that there was further resources. Um, my, my, uh, local channel ran Battle of the Planets and Star Blazers. Yeah. But, uh, other stuff that I know was really popular back then, Speed Racer, Ultraman, stuff like that. We didn't have, I didn't have that. Right. I wasn't exposed to Speed Racer and Ultraman until I was an adult. Um, and we, we didn't have any stores near us that sold, those action figures that you're talking about. Yeah. So I didn't even know that those existed until just this moment. Wow. Oh um, yeah. But yeah. So I was I was today years old when I found out that there are actually vintage Battle of the Planets diecast action figures that I'm going to have to now go seek out. Thank you very much, Roger. Oh, you're welcome. But it's it's a rabbit hole that you will thoroughly enjoy uh, going down because there's so many. And like Battle of the Planets, I think like the the Phoenix and their their bikes and stuff were were diecast, but the figures themselves and they you can still find them. They're still everywhere. Um when I went to Italy, Grandizer was hugely popular over then and that was in uh that was like 6 years ago. And, and their bookstores and toy shops, they have all kinds of Grandizer stuff over there. It's crazy. Well, Battle of the Planet, I never had the toys, but I did have a friend who had the Shogun Warriors. Now, I never got the Shogun Warrior figures myself, but I did have the Shogun Warriors Godzilla. Oh, nice. You're talking about the tall that ones? Is one of, yes. Uh, like 14 inches tall. Godzilla had, you know, this tongue of flame that came out and just this for whatever reason, like the Shogun Warriors, had this claw that shot off across the room. And, yep, I remember um, that. Yeah, it, it was epic. It's still, in my opinion, one of the best toys ever made. That's awesome. Yeah, I have two. I still have two of the smaller die-cast um, uh, Force 5 characters, uh, for lack of a better word. One is Great Mazinger, and one is Dragon from the cartoon Starvengers. And um, those were those are awesome. I, I think I like like you could shoot the fists off, and and stuff. And I think I lost the fists on one of them, or, or at least I found them over the years and I put them somewhere, and so that I have them somewhere, but I'm not quite sure <laughs> where they are. But you know, there's so many toys that I've tried to keep over the years. But like I mentioned earlier, that Marauder uh, from Team America, I for some reason that just got away from me and it never survived. And you know, a lot of my toys have survived to this day. You know. You know, I was, um, I had very few of the Micronauts toys when I was a kid, but I loved them. And uh, my buddy that I mentioned, Jimmy Pepper, that I went and saw Star Wars with, he had all of them. 
Um, and, um, you know, it's funny because Baron Karza uh, has a very strong resemblance to Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of just independent uh, inspiration. But um, I recently was at a, a toy store here in Nashville called Replay Toys. And they had an acquire figure oh. loose, not even in the box. Oh, my God. For 300 bucks. Wow. Those Micronaut figures have, you know, gone up in price and value at an unbelievable rate. That's and, you know, of course, you know, like we were talking a moment ago, kids today, they don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, they're like, Micronaut? What are Micronaut? Right. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, we need to go down a rabbit hole and you need to read the classic Marvel comics illustrated by Michael Golden right. to have an appreciation for just how awesome <laughs> my childhood really was. I still have my Force Commander and Oberon in my display cabinet, and I think I have most of Biotron somewhere <laughs> in one of my storage bins. <laughs> that that's fantastic. Yeah, I I wish I had held on to a lot of stuff I had as a kid. Um, and you know, I had a younger brother that was very uh, uh, mean and troubled, and he liked to uh, light things on fire oh no yeah and so most of my i had all of the egos that was my thing oh wow um you know the the, the seven inch fully clothed uh figures yep which have made a huge comeback again yep um you can get some as a matter of fact i got a mego rocketeer at oh. target two months ago oh nice that i'm so excited that mego did rocketeer that's awesome. Um, I just picked but, up a creature uh, from the Black Lagoon one recently. Yeah, yeah. So, but I had all of them when I was a kid. Um, all of the the world's greatest superheroes. I had the full Planet of the Apes line. Oh. All of the Star Trek figures. And uh, one by one, they either slowly uh, vanished from uh, you know just overplay and and you know breaking and and whatnot, or being melted down and, and in some case some cases i think my uh, little brother gave them away but there was this I, I got so mad at my dad i'm in high school and i um i go to this our, our back room where i had boxes and boxes of, of star wars and and migos and whatnot in storage yeah and they were all gone and I'm like, what happened to? Yeah, I was specifically looking for the uh, Star Wars Kenner Hoth playset. Oh yeah. Um, because I was talking to a friend about it. I said, Yeah, I have that. I need to dig that out and, you know, look at that. And um, and and I went to find it, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find anything. Godzilla was gone. Oh. Um, all these me. I was like, what in the world? And my dad said, get rid of all that junk. Oh. Oh. And I was just like, oh, that junk belonged to me. Oh, my God. I paid for that junk. Right. Oh, man. One man's junk is another man's treasure, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's too bad, man. That, 
That just reminds me of a lot of horror stories I've heard of guys that went off to the military and came home and their mom sold their comic collections or got rid of them. And, uh, you know, I know one guy that used to have originals like Fantastic Four, number one, and Spider-Man, number one, and all these ones that his mom just got rid of when he went away to the military. Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, and that's why that's why these things have, uh, you know, accrued value over the years, because they don't survive, because people don't necessarily see the value down the line. Now, that has certainly changed, right? Yeah. With the collector market now everyone's wanting to keep everything in the in the box, in the plastic, in mint condition. And I, I get that to some degree, but I'm like, all right. Toys were meant to be played with. Comics were meant to be read. Records were meant to be played. Right. <laughs> so I, I keep mine out of the box. I, I have all of my uh, new stuff that I've gotten, and I've gotten into Marvel Legends, uh, figures and Star Wars black figures. I've got them all out of the box and on display. Nice. Uh, on stands on my shelf. That's um, great. Not all of them. I mean, there's some that are still in packages only because I ran out of stands. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but they're in queue. And, uh, you know, yes, the comics that I, I buy, I read them all and they're in a box. You know, they're in the long boxes, but I'm not obsessed with acid-free backing boards and you know because i know look if i if i and i don't want to say don't take care of these things but if i just let them naturally aid the way they were intended to that that actually is contributing to some of these things becoming more valuable 40 years from now huh, there you go yeah yeah I, you know, I do my part. Yeah. <laughs> my biggest regret in terms of when you were talking about your brother destroying your toys and was um, I had I had a, a land speeder from Star Wars that I destroyed with firecrackers. I, I guess I went through this phase in my late teens where me, my buddy of mine and I had firecrackers and we just destroyed everything in sight. So I destroyed my land speeder. I destroyed my Darth Vader TIE fighter, which I'm still kicking myself over. And... I destroyed my Land of the Jawas action playset, and the real thing, the the real thing that hurt, that was the gut punch, was the very next day. At the time, I happened to be working at a comic shop, and I'm sitting in the comic shop, and I'm going through a price guide, and of course, Land of the Jawas action playset comes up, valued at two hundred dollars, and I was like, oh, you dumbbell. And that that was that the one that um, the the land crawler was cardboard. Yes. But it had the elevator up into the thing. Yes. Put C-3PO. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's so valuable, because it was cardboard. And so few of those survived. I had it. Um, that's part of what my dad threw away. I, I loved it. Yeah. But uh, I've got Darth Vader's TIE Fighter sitting right here on my uh, bookshelf right oh, now. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. You know, as I think about it, the funny thing about the Land of the Jawas set was that um, it also came with the pod that C-3PO and R2-D2 was right. escaping. Yeah. And yeah. there was something in the instructions that if you didn't get it, if for whatever reason it wasn't in the box, mail away here and we'll send you another one. And I did get it, but I mailed away anyways and I got a second one. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I didn't remember that. Yeah, that's why I have two of them. <laughs> now, I, do tell you, I, I will tell you what did survive. Um, and the only reason it survived 
was because I had it in a separate case um, in a different place. Um, my mom bought me the Star Wars Early Bird Special figures. Okay. And I had them set aside in a special collector case that, for whatever reason, never got touched. And so I've got all of those original six or nine figures nice. that were in that first wave of the early bird special. Nice. And they, they are in mint condition. They're, obviously, they didn't come in a, a box. They come on the, the blister cards. They came in these little, you know, white boxes. Um, just Now, the backdrop and the stand that they came with, that, that's long gone. But um, I do have the figures. They are in mint condition, and they are in a very special uh, collector's case that is in a very special place in my uh, my collectibles room, my office. Very nice, very nice. That's so cool. Yeah, and did you um uh, take advantage of the fact when uh, Toys R Us was going out of business that everything was going on sale? Oh yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> same here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I bought. Actually, I got a Marvel Legends set. This is the, um, and I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, the the. It was a, a set of all female characters. Oh yeah. She Hulk, Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel, um, Elsa Bloodstone, Lady Loki, and Sif. And it originally retailed for 125 dollars, and I got it for 25 bucks. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got a bunch. I got like a 12, see the 12, I think it's an 18-inch tall Lion-O from the Thundercats. Um, an Iron Man with the old, uh, it's a, more of a statue than a, than an action figure, but it's it's the one where he's got my favorite suit of armor where it's got sort of the, the, the top of the mask is like a triangle pointing down. I don't know if Oh, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, just a bunch of stuff. I just grabbed everything I could. And there were some that I would wait to see if they would go down in price, but then there was a couple of things, I forgot what they were, but I missed them because I waited and then I came back and it was gone. So then after yeah. a while, I just stopped waiting for the price to, to go down. I'm like, well, if I want it, I better take it now. <laughs> yeah, there was one set that I wish I had gotten and um, I'm sure I could find it online. It was a, uh, it was an exclusive, Toys R Us exclusive. It was Marvel Legends. I want to say it was a, three and three quarter inch um, three pack with the uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America from the comics, uh, the, uh, the latest version of the vision and uh, one other character. And I can't remember who it was. And I just, I kept looking at it, looking at it and I never bought it. And then of course it was gone. And, and I need to see if I can find that because uh, I'm, a little bit obsessed with the uh the sam wilson version of captain america i'm i'm obsessed with captain america period yeah so my my two bookcases in my office the top of one is all captain america uh toys and merchandise uh including a captain america uh lunchbox um and i've got captain america stuff from you know 40 years ago through today. And then um, the other bookshelf is Star Wars. And uh, 
clearly Darth Vader, but I don't have nearly as much Darth Vader stuff as I do Captain America. <laughs> but um, I, so I've always been obsessed with Captain America, and I've got framed uh, framed copies of you know Jack Kirby's Captain America hanging up, and a lot of Jack Kirby Captain America artwork throughout the room. Um, just I've got shield hanging up on the wall. Nice and. Um, that's just that's my thing. Captain America is my my guy. That's awesome. Yeah, and, I love um, Cap. And uh, but I've become especially obsessed with the Sam Wilson version of Captain America. Yeah. Uh, when they did it in the comics, and see that's a great example of this toxic fandom, right? Is that I thought that was a great evolution of Sam Wilson's character. Yeah. It was like an obvious evolution from graduating from being the Falcon, the sidekick, to taking up the mantle when Steve Rogers no longer could because he had uh, lost the super soldier serum. He had, he had aged to over 90. He was no longer able to be Captain America. And so the obvious choice was the guy who was beside him for years. And I thought that was a great choice. I, I loved it. And, and, you know, fandom was so split over it. Like, you know, you're ruining legacy characters. You're ruining my childhood. And I'm right. just like, oh. <laughs> it's a progression. It's a character progression that makes sense. And so I love that they did that in the MCU. And, um, you know, again, I, I echo the same feeling I had when they did it in the comics, that it was a natural character arc progression for that character. And what a great way to, to pass a legacy to someone who was so deserving. And um, the the good thing about the MCU is, you know, changes like that in the movies are permanent. Right. Um, in comics, they waffle back and forth. And so they are going to bring him back as Captain America in the comics because the TV show was so successful. But, oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I think next month is where they launch... Uh, the United States of Captain America. <laughs> cool. Oh, man. Well, John, I, I could talk to you for hours, but we are kind of running out of time here. So I do want to wrap things up. I still have a list of, of questions and topics that I want to get to. So I, I want you to uh, I want to throw in an invite for you to come back on the show again sometime soon. Anytime, man. You just say the word. When you need someone to, to join you, just uh, give me a call, and I'm happy to do it. Awesome, awesome. I had so much fun talking to you about pop culture things and, and stuff that we grew up with and stuff that the kids need to know. And, you know, I can't impress enough upon the older listeners that you need to do the same thing for your kids and, you know, show them, introduce them to all the cool stuff they missed out on because they're not going to be able to find it on their own unless they have friends that whose parents have done that to them. You know, that, that's one thing that my, my son has said is that they're – as growing up, as we talked, like, for for example, as um, he and I have listened to a lot of classic rock music over the years, and his, he's encountered friends who also listen to classic rock. So they all have that in common, you know, and they, some of them are vinyl collectors. My daughter also, who's 17, is a vinyl collector. So, uh, oh, and I meant to mention, too, not only have the drive-ins been making a comeback, but videotapes are starting to make a comeback. Did you hear that? I don't understand the VHS tape thing, <laughs> but because the, the, the quality on those is awful, and they do deteriorate. It's right. like cassette tapes. I'm like, 
I am not mourning the loss of VHS or cassette. <laughs> but, but it is amazing to me to see some of the aftermarket prices on eBay for VHS. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. And my son is big into VHS um, for whatever reason. But um, I'll, I'll say this one last thing. And oh, drive in movies? Yeah. Hello? I love the drive in. Oh, yeah. I think that is the coolest thing. And I could go on hours and hours talking about drive-ins. But here's the one thing I would say to the listeners of our generation, the older listeners out there. Um, don't be so quick. You know, yes, introduce old, you know, younger fans to the cool stuff that we loved. You know, teach them the history. Teach them, you know, how what, what they missed out on. Show them how awesome our childhood was. But at the same time, don't don't diss what they're into either. I would I would recommend if you don't understand your kids, try to try to get into some of the stuff that they're into. You know, listen to some of their music, watch some of the newer shows, share those times and adventures with them. Um, you know, because we sat down as a family and watched WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I was able to introduce my son and my daughter to some of the original Avengers stories in the comics that those were based on. And, you know, help them see the, the history and the influence. But that would never have happened if... You know, I wasn't invested into what they were interested in today. Right. And so I would just, you know, tell our older listeners, don't don't tell kids, get off your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> go go out and see what they're into and, uh, you know, be a be a model and, and introduce them to the cool old school stuff, the OG stuff <laughs> in a very organic way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks a lot, John. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, the best way to find me and to find everything I do is johnpika.com, J-O-H-N-P-Y-K-A.com. That will take you to links to uh, my books, Back of the Serial Box, uh, the comic series I have coming up with League of Impossibleists, and all uh, of the other stuff that I'm involved in. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we didn't even get a chance to touch on that, so uh, we're definitely going to have you back on in the future, John. And um, hang, hang in there and do a great job. You're doing a great job with your show and, um, spread the word, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. All right. Can't wait to hear this. And, uh, you have a great day and we'll catch you on the flip side. You as well. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with John Pika. Be sure to check out his website, his books, his podcasts, and all the fun stuff that he's been doing. Remember, you can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our sister show, The East meets the west in which we discuss shaw brothers films and spaghetti western movies and you can find links to our t public page and patreon page where you can get all kinds of fun stuff including our exclusive filmmaker series available only on patreon 
And Then Is Now is on YouTube, so visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and hit the little bell so that you can get notifications when we have new videos out. Also, share the video versions of our podcast and our other videos with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. Then is now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com. But the onus is really on us to ensure that this stuff stays relevant within our pop culture and that they're aware of it. Oh.